Thanks for downloading. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Every subscription matters. On this episode, I got a chance to talk with a close friend, Amber Edens. We talked about her finding a new partner and love in the middle of her cancer diagnosis. She describes that being exactly what she needed at that time in her life. So let's take a listen to what Amber says. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here with Amber, a four-year breast cancer survivor from Phoenix, Arizona. I know Amber from the Phoenix Desert Dragons Dragon Boat team. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We appreciate you being willing to share your story. We're going to go ahead and dive right in. Talk a little bit about your diagnosis. How did you find your lump? Did you find a lump? Uh, what was? How did that come about? So I was 33, and um, I was kind of seeing someone who said, hey, your breast feels hard compared to the other one. And I never really did any self-testing or anything, self-checks, anything like that. Um, but I agreed. It was pretty large. And I would say probably within the next week or so, I went to um, the doctor. They pretty much did everything in the whole week. They mammogram, ultrasound, biopsy. And by the end of the week, they diagnosed me with breast cancer. Um, Stage three. So it had already traveled into my lymph nodes and it was just on the left side. Okay. So you had, was there, I'm assuming there was a lump Yes. Um, and so how, how large was that lump? Or 10 the by 7 centimeters. 10 by 7 centimeters. Very large running like top to bottom. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, um, that is, so stage three indicates that it's a larger size tumor and it's gone into the lymph nodes, correct? Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and so... You talked about being 33 at the time, uh, being in a relationship. How did that feel, um, being so young and being in a relationship with somebody? How, what were the feelings that you had around all of that? So the person that found it was just somebody I was dating, and it was very, very new and fizzled out real quick. I don't think she was able to handle whatever was going on. Um, I didn't really, I just kind of, it was kind of very surreal. Like a doctor would say, okay, go, go see this person for this, go see this person for that. And I was just kind of going through the motions. Um, I told my family, I think they, I mean, they were there for me and I, I just, I don't know. I, I, it was just all surreal. Um, I just kind of, that was everything. I just did that. I had my family, I went to work, and I just did everything they told me to do. Yeah, kind of consumed yeah. by everything related to the cancer. So is there a family history of genetic mutations in the family? Not at all. Um, my grandmother's 
sister um, had a type of cancer. Um, but no, pretty, pretty much I'm the first one. I did all the genetic testing. I even had more genetic testing recently done and nothing. Nothing came back. Okay. And what was, do you remember what the kind of cancer was that the other family member had? Was it breast cancer or was it something different? Um, I believe she had a type of breast cancer and I think lung cancer as well. Okay. Okay. And what was your course of treatment? What did you opt to do to obviously address the cancer? Again, I kind of just did what they told me to do. So they wanted to start with chemo. They wanted to try to shrink it before um, going into surgery. So I did um, about six months of chemo. So how many rounds of did you go every um, week? Did, I was going was every two weeks. Okay. Um, three different drugs for about six months. And then after that, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a double mastectomy. I didn't want it to come back in the other breast or anything like that. Sure. Um, after that, I did some radiation. And then shortly after that, I had a scan and found that it had spread. So, so the, the chemo, did that work to shrink the tumor or no? They said it Swiss cheesed it instead of shrinking it. It kind okay. of just kind of poked holes in it, poked holes in it. And it was just a goopy mess kind of when they went in to do the surgery itself versus a shrunken tumor. Okay. And then, so you said it spread. Mm-hmm. So where did it spread to? Um, and does that change the stage of the cancer? Yeah. So stage four is where I currently am at. Um, so it spread to my bone, um, one small lesion, and basically stage four is when it spreads to any of your other organs. Um, your bone is an organ. <laughs> um, so it is breast cancer in my bone. I had that radiated. Um, I was told if it was bone cancer, they would go in and cut it out like they would your breast cancer in your breast. But um, breast cancer in the bone, they radiated it. And that's been the course of treatment and did that. I think five weeks, Monday through Friday, every single day, I got radiation. Um, and now I'm on a pill every morning. I had to have a hysterectomy. Okay. So in terms of the radiation for the metastasized cancer, you did you have, you had radiation one time before that, and then they did a scan and found that it had spread, or they did a scan after you had the mastectomy, found out that it spread, and then you had the radiation? I had my mastectomy. I did the radiation to my breast and lymph okay. nodes area on the left side. Um, shortly after that, we did a scan. It was kind of a out of nowhere. Hey, we haven't had a scan in a while. Let's do it. And when they did, that's when they found it had spread to the bone. And then I had additional radiation to that spot. Okay. And then in terms of the double mastectomy, did you opt for reconstruction? What kind of um, you know plan did you have for that? started researching some stuff. At this point in time, I did meet somebody um, and we were pretty involved. And she was helping me look at my different options. And um, should I get a flap or should I get um, um, implants or should I get the spacers? What what would be my best option? And I didn't want to go through surgery again. I didn't want to take off the time from work. I didn't want to go through the pain. I just wanted to do one and done. Um, so they did reconstruction during my mastectomy. 
Okay. And the, and did you do implants? Did you do... Uh, I did. I did. Okay. Um, I opted for silicone because they're more durable and <laughs> they've made progress <laughs> right. over the years. Yeah. We, uh, I, I talked with my plastic surgeon and we, we had a conversation about the fact that silicone is, is safer these days safer than, than it's been, yeah. yeah, in the nineties. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you started dating someone, yeah. um, and that person was helping you kind of explore your options. So yeah. how did that kind of come about? Um, I mean, in the, in the middle of your cancer treatment, it sounds like, mm-hmm. um, you met this person and, uh, so how did that kind of come about? And I mean, it sounded like she was very accepting yeah. to be able to sit down and have a <laughs> conversation about implants or, yeah. you know, using your own tissue. So talk a little bit about that. Well, she had moved back here from Oklahoma. She was, she's, she's an Arizona native. Um, and both of our friends had just kind of talked us into online dating and that's how we met and once we met that was it and we were been pretty much inseparable ever since um but like I said in the beginning I was just this doctor would tell me go see that doctor I would go to whomever they recommended um but she really took the time to research like what is best for me long term excuse me long term um for example when my when it had spread to the bone and I was seeing a certain oncologist, she's like, it's time for you to go see somewhere, somewhere else, go to somewhere else, go, um, to someone who has more experience in, in you in particular, what your diagnosis is and in your metastasis and things like that. So she found me the best of the best doctor and, you know, never forced anything. It was just, I think this is, this is what I found in my research. What do you think? And, I pretty much do what she says because she knows better. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like she really kind of showed up into your life and became a very strong advocate for you. Yeah, she came at the perfect time. Um, I was very hesitant in dating someone at, at that point in my life. Sure. Um, in trying to focus on a relationship when I was trying to focus on my myself and my health. And she was exactly what I needed. That's wonderful. I love that story. Don't I'm cry. super happy. <laughs> I won't cry. Not yet. Um, so you ta- uh, you said that you take one pill a day right now. Uh, how long have you been taking that pill? And uh, what is that pill? What are you taking? So initially, um, after surgery, they started me on anastrozole and it was to suppress my hormones because my breast cancer initially was hormone driven. Um, I had ended up getting a hysterectomy after I found out that it had spread to get rid of those hormones because they were putting me, they were giving me shots in my belly to put me in, um, into so, menopause, into menopause. And I didn't like it. There was like the size of a piece of rice. It was huge. <laughs> and so I figured I, I was too scared to get off that shot. And I just figured I should get the hysterectomy. So once... I was naturally in menopause. I believe that's when they switched me to, um, I think I started on tamoxifen and then I switched to anastrozole is what I'm on now. Okay. Now that I'm in menopause. Chemo brain, you know, you know, chemo brain, (laughs) the whole thing is a blur, but yes, I'm on anastrozole now. So that basically stops the hormones from my, my brain. Okay. And in terms of the hysterectomy, was it, 
did they remove everything? Was it the they ovaries? It the I wanted them to take it all. I have everything um, removed except for my cervix because my risk for cervical cancer should be should be low. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so share a little bit about your experience with a hysterectomy. Uh, how was that surgery? Did they do it laparoscopically? Did they have to go in, um, you know, vaginally? What was the recovery on that? How did, how did that work out? Um, lap, laparoscopic. So I have three small incisions. One was in my belly button and one on either side. Um, as far as I know, pretty straightforward. Um, afterwards, I think about... They told me about four or five weeks recovery, but I was vacuuming like the next week. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be highly frowned upon. <laughs> yeah. So I, I knew my limits though. Um, you know, we had, we had volunteered at Ironman and I was walking to my, my point to go volunteer for the runners. And I could tell like walking, I think I walked maybe a mile and I had to stop and take a couple breaks. I knew my limits. Um, right. But I have a high pain tolerance too, so. <laughs> so it's pretty fascinating for me, at least, that uh, when they do something laparoscopically that you have, you know, three or four small incisions and they're able to pull out these large organs yeah. um, from your body. So I yeah. find that pretty fascinating. Um, and they didn't find anything of concern when you had the hysterectomy. Everything nope. was clean. Cleanish bill of health for now, yeah. Cleanish bill of health, okay. And so how often do you go back and get scans to be checked for um, the cancer in the bones? So initially it was every three to four months. Um, I This next month I get one, it'll be my first time, I will be six months. So she's telling me um, my oncologist actually moved. So this is a new doctor and she wants me getting scans every six months until I'm five five years out from the time it had metastasized and I'm currently two years. Okay. And so what are your feelings about having a new medical oncologist? <laughs> um, my doctor recommended me to okay. her or her to me, however you want to say that. I've met her once. Um, I like her so far, but I think the true test will be when it comes back or if it comes back, how she handles it. Right. So... Yeah, I know um, when we're going through that whole experience, we become so close to the people that are treating us that they almost become like family. And then when they move away, it's pretty devastating oh, yeah. for some of us. I mean, I was sad for a long time. Yes. <laughs> I had the same experience. My uh, gynecological oncologist moved away and I had a new one and I was like, oh, no, I don't I don't yeah. particularly like this person. Um, she wasn't, she just wasn't a good fit for me. So, um, yeah, that's, but I like the fact that you say just kind of depending on what her response is, if something does show up, you know, that will be kind of the, the sign for you in terms of what will happen next. (laughs) And you have somebody that clearly is going to advocate for you to do the very best thing, uh, that you need to do for yourself. So, um, so you said next month. End of August, I get another scan. Okay. We'll be sending some good vibes for clean scans. Um, So you talk about having a support system around you. Mm -hmm. You had uh, your family and then friends and then this um, person that kind of came into your life. 
um, what ways were they able to support you through your journey? What were some of the things that they were able to provide or um, do for you that were that were helpful? Um, my family, obvious, I don't know, every, anything and everything that I ever needed. Um, my friends are great. They, they did some fundraising for me. They organized a soccer tournament. All proceeds went to me. Um, and then, you know, my now wife, <laughs> she... She wanted to take care of me. You know, my my mastectomy surgery was coming up and I was working night shifts and she's just, you know, why don't we move in together? You can let me let me help take care of you. You know, we're 30 minutes away from each other right now and I want to be that for you. And so we did. We did right before um, my surgery. I moved in with her. Um, And again, like I said, she researches everything, whether it's my doctors or medications or, you know, foods that we need to be eating. She really wants to take care of me and it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, the, the reality is, is that there are many people who do not have a support system around them. Um, they don't have maybe friends or family that are close by. Maybe they don't have a significant other. Did you attend any support groups at Mm -hmm. all? So we tried. (laughs) We went to one together and she left in tears. She couldn't even make it through the whole thing. Um, I'm not a woe is me kind of person. Um, Cancer lives with me, but I'm still living my life. And no offense to the women in that group. You know, maybe it's something that they need, but everyone went in there telling a sad story. And, you know, um. I know that I, I'm stage four and I'm not like curable, but at the same time, I am two years out and the more act time I can have without having bad scans, like I know that's the longer I'm going to live, but some of these women in there using the word terminal, I hate that word, you know, I'm terminal, I'm terminal, I just feel like technically, yeah, I'm, t- I'm terminal, but I don't see it that way, like I still live day to day. Um, doing what I want to do day to day, knowing that, you know, next year we're planning a big trip together. You know, I, I, I'm i going to be here for it. I don't think, you know, tomorrow is not coming for some reason. I'm, I'm not going to think like that, you know. I don't know. Wow. So, but that no, wasn't for me. That wasn't for me. I, I have I have found other things that, that are more for me, like dragon boating, you know, being with like people having the same diagnosis and it's not a woe is me because that's not me. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that's really powerful in terms of your, your thoughts around it. Um, you know, there are definitely two ways of thinking about it. Uh, one is I'm terminal and, you know, we know that terminal means the end. And so, or thinking of it kind of the way that you are, in terms of having positive thoughts around it and I'm going to be here um, and I'm going to do these things. So I think that's, I think that's a really powerful message for anyone who may also be in the same position of um, being stage four um, to really, really kind of go through, be in the present moment and holding on to positive thoughts versus kind of the negative thoughts. I think you have to, I think, Life in general is too sad sometimes, you know, to 
think like tomorrow's my last day or whatever, you know, I, I feel like having a healthy mindset is healthy for your body. And I, I want to continue to think that I'm going to be able to do what I want to do for the next 10 or 20 years. Yes. You know, <laughs> absolutely. And we hope so. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, so I know that you were in the military mm-hmm. and did this come when you were involved in anything related to the military or was this after you no, um, were um, finished? I had been out of the military. I did five years right out of high school. Um, okay. So I had been out for probably eight or 10 years before um, my diagnosis. Okay. And, but now you're a night shift nurse or maybe ner- you're not now, not but nerd. you I were was never a nurse. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. I did night shift. Um, I was a respiratory therapist Okay, and they have expanded and made a new job position. So vascular access. Okay. Um, but I switched over to days, which is another a healthy life improvement for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so you were working mm-hmm. obviously during the time of this, mm-hmm. um, how, how flexible were they in terms of you going for your treatments? Right. Um, you know, obviously chemo tires you out, radiation mm-hmm. wears mm-hmm. you down. I mean, there are just so many parts of this for a length of time that obviously interferes with many parts of your life. So how was work for you? Work, the people at work were very accommodating to whatever I needed, if I needed to take time off or whatever. I mean, the day that I got got diagnosed. I was supposed to work that evening and I called my boss crying saying I couldn't come in. No, no big deal. Like whatever you do, take as much time as you need. Um, working night shift was hard though. Um, just being tired and trying to last 12 hours. So I do three 12 hour shifts a week. Um, I would pretty much work 12 hours, go to chemo, take a nap and go home and be off for the next couple days. Cause that's how my schedule would work for me. The hardest part was radiation because that was Monday through Friday. So I was living in Glendale, receiving um, radiation in Scottsdale, and my oncologist was in Sun City. So I was doing driving all over the city and so working Glendale night shift. Glendale to Scottsdale is like 40 minutes? Yeah. And then Scotts, uh, Scottsdale to Sun City? Yeah, I don't know. It was way too much driving. So Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, but now having the oncologist that I do, being able to do everything in one one hospital is much better. Yeah. Whether I'm working day or night, it would have been perfect. Right. Well, I'm glad to hear, too, that, you know, work was pretty accommodating for you. And um, I totally get the whole radiation, like, wearing you thin. And I don't know if it's... The impact of the radiation, I don't know if it's just the fact that five days a week you're going and you're, you know, getting undressed and yeah. getting the rope put on and laying down in the, the machine and being zapped and, you know, all of that stuff or, you know, what it is. But I had the same experience. Mm-hmm. Like I was just totally exhausted and kind of did the same thing. I um, I just needed to rest. Yeah. And that's just what I did. So yeah. uh, is there anything that you would say – you learned from cancer that was kind of unexpected or maybe the most valuable lesson that you might have learned through the journey? I did find out who I can really depend on, like friendship-wise. 
I have a friend who I've known since fifth grade, and we don't always talk, um, but I know anytime I need her, she's there, and she has been. Um, you know, having my different friends from work or from soccer or whatever, um, just being there for me, knowing knowing which ones I could depend on. Hey, you know, I'm not feeling well. Can you take me to the doctor? Or, hey, could you bring me some soup or something? Um, and not even having to ask most of the time, them just asking me what I needed. Um, it, it's nice to know who, especially when, as you get older, which friends are your real friends, and I would die for them. You know, I would do anything for them, and, they, and, I, and I know who would do that for me. So, Yeah, it's kind of amazing sometimes yeah. in terms of who shows up. Yeah, to and help. continues to four years later. Yeah, absolutely, Yeah, for sure. So being so young, being in a new relationship <laughs> at the time of diagnosis, um, and so many other things about your story being um, stage four, is there anything that you would have to offer in terms of advice for anyone that maybe they're newly diagnosed, maybe they're um, you know, 33 or young, maybe they're in a new relationship. Maybe they've just learned that their cancer has spread. Is there anything that you could offer? And you don't need to hit on all of those, but if there's anything that you could offer for advice for anyone of those specific things that you think might be helpful for our listeners. I think my biggest regret is not taking the time in the beginning and just doing what the doctor said. Um, I never froze eggs. I never did anything like that, and I'm at a point, I don't know if I would have wanted to have children or not, but I think knowing that there are options out there and there are places that can help you financially because you are being diagnosed to take care of those things, you know, exploring that option, um, knowing that there are a lot of resources out there if you reach out to somebody, you know, I just recently reached out to Michaela who sent me stuff on um to help out breast cancer survivors, to help out their children. There's just, I didn't know all these resources were out there, you know, just it's a lot to, to take in. And, you know, I was just kind of doing as I was told, but kind of sit back and take it in for a second and make sure you are doing what you really want to do, you know? Well, that's a great piece of advice, and I certainly appreciate it. And I do want to kind of mention that Michaela is uh, one of our Dragon Boat team members, <laughs> um, for those that, that don't know Michaela. Um, and so I just want to say thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with us. Uh, it was, you know, great to hear your story, and it was powerful, and I have no doubt that it's going to help somebody else. Um, so thank you so much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.